If, uh, if I were to use, were you on? Yeah, okay. If, uh, if I were to use the words smart, well-informed, brilliant, intelligent, what names automatically pop into your head? And when I, when I said that at camp, someone shouted out, Uncle Preston, <laughs> Preston Pierce, uh, which he'd be very flattered uh, to hear that. Um, but I think if you were to ask the average person to do that kind of word association, all sorts of names would come up, Einstein, maybe Bill Gates, or um, you know, the great uh, innovators and scientists and thinkers. But one of the few names, well, one of the names that's almost certainly not going to come up is Jesus. We've come to think of him, or we've been conditioned to think of him as a good man, a holy man, but we don't think of him as intelligent automatically. Whenever we want advice on how to live well or how to succeed in business or how to have healthy relationships, we turn to the the latest self-help book or the latest TED Talk or someone with a PhD after their name. And even though Jesus is the most influential person in history, and studies have shown that, we think of him as not really in touch with real life somehow. We don't think of him as a source of knowledge about the way we actually live our lives day to day. But if you think about it, how could Jesus be divine and yet dumb? <laughs> how could he be How could he have the kind of impact he had on world history and yet not be brilliantly intelligent? How could he be anything but the smartest person that ever walked the earth? And if we believe Jesus is who he says he is, then that is exactly who he has to be. The most intelligent, the wisest person that's ever been on this earth. The smartest person in history. Jesus is completely competent and trustworthy. And so following him, this is what his disciples knew. Following him wasn't just the right thing to do that they should do so they could escape hell or something like that. It was the smartest way to live. It was the smartest thing to do to follow him. And so what would it look like if we lived our lives as if Jesus had the best information on everything that really matters? And this is what we looked at 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 camp this week, the Sermon on the Mount, which is really Jesus' master class, the most important talk ever given. And I encourage you, at at some point today or this week, um, go read Matthew 5 to 7 as one single sermon. Read the whole thing all the way through and see what kind of impact that has on you. A lot of times we read it as just single phrases or sayings, but Jesus delivered it as a sermon. And so we have to deal with it as uh, one unified talk, one unified whole. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Just the the start of that, Matthew 5, 1 to 16. And what we see is that Jesus deals with the biggest questions of human life, the kinds of questions that we've been asking right from the very start. What is the good life? How does a person become good? And really, we're going to look at the first part of that, 
What is the best way to live? What does the best kind of life look like? What does it really mean to be hashtag blessed? Anyone who uses Twitter will understand that. If not, you have no idea what that means. But uh, what does it mean to live the good life? Now, there's lots of answers to that that we we encounter daily. It's not something that people tend to just have a conversation about or talk about, but we can't help but live out an answer to that question simply by the way we, we conduct our lives. And so I'm going to introduce a few characters that you may recognize in people that you know. The first one, the first answer that's lived out is uh, someone called Harry the Hedonist. There he is. Um, Harry values pleasure-seeking. He values experiences and adventure. His life revolves really around the weekend. It revolves around partying, around having fun. He believes that life is all about all the pleasure you can experience. And so if you summed up his life by a phrase, it might be, if it feels good, do it. Now, Harry is a pretty popular person. A lot of people want to be like him, even if they don't feel they have the courage to do it. But... If you saw him out at a party, he would be the one on the dance floor trying to have the absolute time of his life every single time. (laughs) That's Harry. The second person is Andrew, the achiever. Andrew values wealth. He values being healthy, being smart, being assertive, being successful. Andrew works hard to achieve everything that Uh, that he wants to get. He gets into all the right schools, the right clubs, the right spheres of influence. He dresses to make sure that people know his status and and respect him accordingly. And so he feels that he's earned everything he has. He has got no time for people that don't take him forwards towards his goals. And so he believes, really, that life is about what you can achieve. Life is all about being successful and reaching your, your goals and your ambitions. And so if you saw him at some kind of party... He would be, he'd really only be there because he's making a business contact. He's networking somehow. He's there to to take him further towards his goals. The third person is Beatrice the Beautiful. (laughs) Now, Beatrice values youth. She values beauty, fashion. This could just as easily be a guy. Uh, Values good looks, popularity, fame, nutrition, working out, making sure that she has the perfectly maintained social media profiles and that no bad pictures are ever uh, seen in the light of day. She believes life is really all about image, how you're perceived, what people think of you. And so if you saw her at a party, she'd be in the VIP section taking selfies with famous people and making sure everyone knows who she's with and what she's wearing. (laughs) Now, the fourth person is Amanda, the activist. Amanda is very different from the other three. She values social causes, political action, equality, rights. And really, she, she strongly dislikes, maybe even hates, the kind of people like Harry and Andrew and, uh, and, and Beatrice for being so self-centered and uh, so capitalistic and so, uh, so unconcerned with the, the, the plight of the world around them. And so if you saw Amanda at a party, she's probably outside picketing for whatever unjust practices are being carried out inside. Now, obviously, these are not real people. 
but, you know, real people are much more complex than this, but maybe you recognize someone that you know in one of these four characters, and there's a whole myriad of, of other answers to life uh, and what the good life is that are being lived out all around us. Now, Jesus starts what we read with nine statements. They're often called the Beatitudes. Nine statements that begin with the word blessed. These are statements that deal with what does the good life really look like? Who is it that is really blessed? Who is it that is fortunate? That's another way to translate it. Who is it that's well off? And these, um, these are called the Beatitudes. And Jesus, what's interesting is Jesus, he looks at the people around him. Imagine a crowd full of common people. His disciples were, were common uh, laborers and, and uh, working people. And most of the crowds around him uh, would have been as well, although there was a mixture of all kind of social classes and everything. But Jesus looks at the people around him and he calls them blessed. And the funny thing is that these people that he looks at are not the kind of people that anyone in that society or even today's society would automatically call blessed. He says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the sad. Blessed are the disenfranchised, the hungry, the thirsty, the pushovers. Hungry are the naive. Hungry are the... Uh, 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 blessed are the, was I saying hungry that whole time? Sorry. <laughs> blessed, 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 blessed. We'll just edit that in. Uh, blessed are the ones afraid to fight back. Blessed are the bullied. Blessed are the ones taunted for being disciples of Jesus. Jesus looks at them and says, you are hashtag blessed. Now, things, those things that he mentions are things that people in his day would have said, they make a person unblessed. They make a person even maybe cursed. Um, they were the opposite of blessed. And so if you, if you were to think of this in today's kind of language, you could replace all of those categories of people with whoever society today says is unblessable. It might be blessed are the unemployed. Blessed are the overweight. Blessed are the unintelligent. Blessed are the, the, uh, the, the not good-looking. <laughs> Blessed are those who don't know how to use technology. <laughs> Blessed are the teenage mothers. Blessed are the AIDS victims. Blessed are the drug addicts. Blessed are the homeless. Whatever it is, all these things, these are the kinds of people that Jesus is looking at and saying, blessed. Now, his society, just like ours, would say pretty much the opposite. They would say, no, no, blessed are the rich. Surely. Blessed are the happy. Blessed are the assertive. Blessed are the ones with lots to eat and drink. Blessed are the ones who give people what they deserve. Blessed are the ones with lots of worldly experience. Blessed are the winners. Blessed are the ones that are popular and respected. Surely those are the ones that are blessed. Now what makes Jesus look at the, these kinds of people that everyone says are unblessable and call them blessed? And I want to show you a video to make, make this point. And some of you may have seen this video. If you have seen this video, please don't let on in any way what's going on. Uh, but we're going to watch this video. 
Should this is a okay. test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? <laughs> this video is from research by Daniel Simons and Christopher Chabri and is copyrighted. It is available for use in talks, training, and teaching on DVDs from BizCog Productions. <laughs> now, how many, how many of us, uh, have you seen that video before? A few people. Uh, how many of you did not see the gorilla the first time? Quite a number. How many of you did? Yeah. Now, it, the result of that study was that 50% of people that watched that video did not see the gorilla. 50%. You guys did a little better than that, I think. Very smart. But uh, the point is, what you focus on, what your goal is, determines what you see. What your goal is determines what you're able to see. And the, way, the, the reason that Jesus looks at these people and calls them blessed is because his vision of the good life, what he sees as the goal of life, is completely different to what we normally humanly consider the goal of life. Um, your goal in that video is to count the passes. And so if you focused on that, that's all you saw. You didn't see the gorilla right in front of your face. <laughs> and each of those four characters that we, that we looked at, they live in very different ways because they have very different values. What they value, what the goal that they aim their life towards is very different. And so what they see as blessed, what they see as the good life, is very, very different. Now what Jesus sees shapes what he calls blessed. So what did he value? And what we read in the Sermon on the Mount, and, the, and just the example of what he lived out, is that the most valuable thing is to be part of the kingdom of God. The goal of life is to be part of God's kingdom, to live in his presence. And if you're part of the, the kingdom of God, what it means is you are blessed no matter what the circumstances of life are. No matter what life throws at you, you are blessed in your being. Your very being is blessed because you're part of the, the kingdom of God and nothing can take that away from you. And if you base your life on anything else, it ends up deceiving you and leaving you addicted and, and, and with far less than what you started with. So if you base your life around pleasure, and I, I grew up around uh, I, I grew up in a ministry that helps people with drug addictions and long-term addiction problems. And what you see, what addiction does to you, if you base your life around pleasure, which is what drugs is, is all about, you base your life on pleasure, and that is the center and the goal of your entire life. What it's, it's strange what happens. The more you get of that thing that gives you pleasure, the less and less pleasure it ends up giving you in return. It's called the law of diminishing returns. And that's how addictions happen because you work and work and work to try and get back to the feeling that you first had. And so you have to keep getting more and more and more and more. 
And it ends up destroying and disintegrating everything around you. And so if you base your life on achievements, what happens when you fail? If your life is all about success and achieving your goals, and uh, that is going to crush you under its demands because we all eventually mess up. We all make mistakes. It's not able to give you what you're meant to live on. If you base your life just on beauty and youth, well, those things fade all too quickly. <laughs> and so what does it look like to base your life around that? Well, it looks like some of the Hollywood stars that are 80, 90 years old and really just a walking piece of plastic <laughs> because they're obsessed with beauty and youth. They're obsessed with a former reality and they end up just being a shell of a person. And it's very sad to see. If you base your life only on rights and justice and, and, and social causes, which are incredibly good, all of these things are good in and of themselves, but if you base your life entirely on that, it simply cannot sustain you. If you base your life only on justice, then what happens about the, the, the evil inside of you? What do you do about that? What do you do when you can't solve all the, all the world's problems, which we can't? inherently in ourselves. The message that Jesus went around proclaiming was, the kingdom of God is here. And you, no matter who you are, no matter what society says about you or how unblessable you feel, you are invited in to the kingdom. You're invited to, into the inner circle of God's family. And that means you are blessed no matter what. No matter what life throws at you, beyond anything that can happen to you, nothing can take it away from you. Not your failures, not the way you look, not government, <laughs> not even death can take that blessing away from you. And so when you see the value that is set before you in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, that will change your entire outlook. What you see in this life will entirely shift. And it will shape you into an entirely different kind of person. How? Now, I'm, I'm going to be uh, quick on these, on these final points. I'm going to try. Uh, how does that shape you? The reality is, and, and, and uh, Tom has been preaching these last few weeks, has, has talked about this as well, we are shaped by what we value. We're shaped by what we center our lives around. And the nature of humanity, we can't help but value certain things to, to, to center our life around certain goals. We can't help it. And so what that means is we all have some sort of vision of what the good life looks like, of the kind of person that we want to become. And so we're all in this process of being shaped. We're not only human beings, we're humans becoming. And we're becoming someone, some kind of person. Who we are is not static. And so the question is, who are you becoming? And who we're becoming is shaped little by little by, our, by those decisions, those habits, those experiences of, of life, which are all driven by what we value. And so what you value pushes you towards a certain vision of life, which then shapes your character. Now, I, I assume everyone wants to be the best kind of person that they can be. Eventually, we all want to be the greatest version of, uh, of ourselves that we can become. And that requires transformation. Uh, uh, 
Uh, we even prayed this morning. We're not where we need to be, where we want to be. And so that requires transformation to get where we want to be. To get any kind of transformation, you need three things. And I'm getting this from a book called The Divine Conspiracy. It's great. Go read it. Uh, to get any transformation, you need three things. You need a vision. You need an intention to carry out that vision. And then you need a plan of practical steps to get it done. Now, the, the, the best example I can think of is, is learning a language. Learning a language is, is a transformation in your brain. It's an ability that you have to shape into your mind that you can't do simply by your effort. That's a transformation. And so, uh, say learning Czech, which I have not yet been transformed into doing. <laughs> and you'll see why. Uh, <laughs> um, to, to be able to learn Czech or any language, it could be Chinese, it could be Arabic, the first thing you need is you need a vision. You need to see the value of that thing. You need to have some sort of picture of how your life would be better if you could speak that. Maybe it would allow you to speak to a girl that you couldn't speak to if you don't know that language. Maybe it would allow you to get a job or move to a country. But you need to be able to see the value of that. Now, that is absolutely necessary. If you don't want it, if you don't see the value of it, you will never learn it. Uh, in England, everyone in school does three or four years of French. But uh, there's very, very, very few people in England that actually do speak French. One, because they don't like the French. But that's part of the problem, because they don't see any value in learning French. There's no utility of learning French to their everyday lives. And so no one cares. <laughs> so no one learns. But even if you do care, you need to go further than that. You need an intention. You need to actually decide, I am going to do what it takes to learn Czech. I'm going to do it. There's no, it's no good just having this kind of dreamy vision. You need to actually commit to it, right? Um, now, if you commit, you have to do the third step because lots of us just stop at the, at the, at the intention. Oh, I'd like to learn Czech. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, but you have to go the next step, which is finding out what are the practical steps that I need to take in order to gain that transformation, gain that skill. So I need to go out and buy the books. I need to go take a course. I need to hire a tutor. Maybe I need to go speak with native speakers and live in, in, in a place where I can be immersed in the language. And if you have those three things, if you desire it, you intend to do it, and you, and you have a practical plan, you take the steps, you can be very well assured, you can be guaranteed that you will learn Czech. Maybe not perfectly, maybe not with a great accent, but you will be able to speak. You will learn. And that's the same for any kind of transformation that we want to uh, uh, get in life. Now, so think about that vision. What kind, now we're applying it to what kind of people we want to become. What kind of person do you want to become? Well, you can think about it starting with the problem. Uh, if you had to describe the perfect person, what would they look like? That's a great question to ask. It's a great conversation starter. Now, when I look at humanity and all the, 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 our problems, the things that hold us back, I see that, uh, especially when I look at myself, I, I see that we're enslaved to our habits. They annoy us. We want to get rid of them, but we can't. We're, we're enslaved to them. Um, we're self-centered. We're insecure. We feel unsafe. We're unhappy because of all these things. 
We know more information than ever before, but we have almost the least wisdom than ever before. We don't know how to apply it to actually live a good life. We need something. We're looking for something solid to base our identity on. These are some of the, the, the problems that we all have. Now, what, think about it. What kind of person would we need to be in order to overcome those issues? Now, we're in church. The obvious answer is like Jesus, right? But actually look at it. Think about it. Because almost you can have a conversation about this with, with virtually anybody, and, and they will recognize, yeah, Jesus lived an exemplary life. He lived one of, if not the best lives that anyone's ever lived. Even if they don't believe that he's the son of God or anything like that, we recognize Jesus was truly good. So what kind of person was Jesus? Jesus was free. Jesus had no kinds of addictions or habits that annoyed him. There was nothing that, that could force him to do what he knew he didn't want to do. He had utter freedom. He didn't care what was popular or respectable or what society wanted him to do. His approval came from God alone. And so he was free. He was secure. Because he was completely free and he based who he was on God's approval, he was utterly secure in who he was. Even when they put him on the cross, there was nothing they could do to hurt him. He wasn't insecure about himself. He wasn't insecure about sickness or what might come in the future or uh, you know, unemployment or persecution. Or His foundation was absolutely secure. He was unshakable. Because he was secure, because he was free, he was able to love unconditionally. No strings attached. Without wanting anything in return. He didn't need anything in return. He could just love. And so that's the essence of goodness, being concerned with the good of others. He was utterly good, and he could love anyone, even his enemies. Now, because he was free and secure, good and loving, those are all qualities essential to happiness. We forget so often Jesus was the happiest person on earth. Jesus was full of joy. It was overflowing. Um, he said that he came to bring joy that the, the joy that he had between him and the Father to give it to us, that our joy together may be complete. John 17, he talks about this. And so Jesus actually draws us into following him so that we can experience the joy of heaven, the joy of God's love. He was joyful, he was happy. Jesus was smart. If you live the best life that's ever lived, that means you're wise. Jesus was the wisest person that's ever walked the earth, the most influential person to ever live. He was solid. He wasn't fickle or petty. He didn't worry when others criticized him. He was heroic. He gave himself for the good of others, even for those that didn't deserve it, for their own good. He surrendered his life to save the world. Now, if, if you look at all those qualities, I think almost anybody would say, yeah, that's the kind of person I'd like to be. The best version of myself might look like that. And if you don't want to become that kind of person, the question is, what kind of person do you want to be? Think of all the other kinds of things that you could value, the kinds of things that you could become. Are they really better than that? Would that not fill your life with everything you're, you're longing for? Now, what Je I submit what Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount as a whole 
is that by following him, that is exactly the kind of person that he's shaping us into. Romans 8, 20, uh, Romans 8, 27, I think, we are predestined to be shaped into the image of Christ. If there's one thing that's sure, if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, the one sure thing that you're predestined to other than salvation is to be shaped into his image. That is point of, part of the point of walking with him. That's why you become a disciple, an apprentice to someone, because you want to become like them. And so by following him, what he promises us is, you will start to become like me. He says, any student that is fully trained will be like their master. And so this is what he's showing us. In the rest of it, he's showing us the character, his own character, the character of the kingdom of God, what it looks like to be a, a, a citizen of God's kingdom is to be like him. The goal of being a Christian is not just to do certain things, it's to become a certain kind of person. The kind of person that naturally does the kinds of things that Jesus says, that naturally thinks the way he thinks, that naturally speaks the way he speaks. And so, the final thing, there's two, there's two sides to that. Jesus comes and does what we can absolutely never have any hope of doing, which is making us children of God, making us part of God's family. You can't think your way into a family. You can't feel your way. You can't act your way into a family. There's no magic formula you can carry out to become someone's child that you either have to be born into the family, you have to marry into it, or you have to be adopted into it. And guess what? Those are the three main pictures that Jesus says it looks like to, be, to, to follow him. He says, you will be born again into God's family. You, the, God's children are called the bride of Christ. We're, 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 we're betrothed to him, and one day we will be united to him in perfect unity in marriage. And it says in, in, in Romans uh, 8 as well that we are adopted as his children, and we cry out, Abba, Father, from our hearts. And so that is exactly what Jesus does for us, what we could never hope to do on our own. But after our new birth, after our adoption, after our marriage into the family, we have a responsibility to grow up into who we are. Now, there's part of growth that is passive. You don't cause yourself to, to, to you know, you don't cause your body to grow other than by eating and drinking and all that stuff. But that's a passive part. But growth in your character is not simply passive. We have the ability to work with God and influence the rate of our growth in character. You have the responsibility. You're born into the family. Wonderful. Celebration. But if you're still a baby 20 years on, 30 years on, 40 years on into your walk with Christ, there's something desperately wrong. <laughs> you're certainly not living into the potential that God's given you. And that is a tragedy. <laughs> God wants so much more than that for us. And so we have the responsibility to grow up now into who we are. It's not about earning your right into the family. You can't do that. Stop trying to earn it. It's just about walking and growing up into who you already are. And so Jesus gives two pictures of what that's like. He says, you, those of you that are following me, those of you that are already in my family, you are the salt of the earth. And what does salt do? Uh, I advise you to cook with salt. 
please, because it makes everything taste better. It brings out the flavor, it brings out the character, the nature of whatever it's in. And so imagine a society that's full of that kind of person, people that look increasingly more and more like Christ. Wouldn't things taste a little better? Wouldn't there be a little more joy? Wouldn't there be a little more sense of beauty and appreciation, a little more kindness? Of course there would. Everything would taste better if we're following him, and it does. That's why when you have, you know, a little slice of heaven like camp was, or, you know, we we have these little glimpses of what it looks like um, when we're focused on God, we're following him, we're living it out. Um, The other thing about salt is it preserves. Salt uh, maintains the goodness of whatever it's in. Uh, Before refrigeration, that was the main way of preserving any kind of food. And so imagine a society full of those kinds of people. We would preserve all the goodness. We would bring out the goodness in other people and preserve their good qualities rather than trashing them and bringing them down. You are the salt of the earth. And the second picture he gives is you are the light of the world. Light. Without light, you have no idea what you're doing. You can't see anything. You have no idea where you're going. Light is there to guide us. Uh, It allows us to see the good things around us. It allows us to see the beauty around us. Now imagine a world filled with people that look like Jesus. Think of the wisdom we could have. Think of the, you, you could always turn to somebody and know what to do in a given situation. Light reveals the true state of things. Can you imagine a kind of society filled with these people? Can you imagine them turning a blind eye to the needy? Can you imagine Jesus turning a blind eye to injustice? Not only would we have a beautiful, kind society, we would have a more just society. And this is the kingdom of God. You can see the outcome, the end of the book, it talks about it in Isaiah, it talks about what this kind of society looks like. When we are perfected in his image, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more injustice, there will be no more tears, because we will look like him, and we will shine with the same kind of light that he shines with. Now, when you encounter, if you've ever encountered somebody that, that, that has that flavor to them, that has that, that, that glow to them, there's something different. There really is. It looks different. It tastes different. And so, Jesus says, be who you are. What's the point of being salt if, you don't, if you're not salty? What's the point of being light if you... If you are covered by a a basket if no one can see it. Be, grow, uh, act out in who you are. And the amazing thing is, we looked at those four characters, the amazing thing is when you put the kingdom first, when you build your life on what Jesus says, what he teaches, you not only get the kingdom, you get all of the other things that those four characters were looking for in the first place. He says later on in the sermon, if you put the kingdom of God first, seek first the kingdom, and all these other things will be added to you. All those things that you're anxious about all the time will be added to you because you've got the the right thing at the center. You've got the source at the center, and everything flows from the source. And so you get joy and a pleasure that is pure, 
a joy and pleasure that doesn't addict you because it doesn't give you less and less in return, it gives you more and more in return. You get a sense of achievement that is not only in your lifetime, it's eternal because you're building a kingdom that never comes to an end. You, uh, you get to have a beauty and a youth because you have eternal life. Um, you, you get to have a contribution to justice because you're, you have a foundation for rights and for goodness and justice. Even in yourself because Jesus dealt with the evil in your heart. And so Jesus says, if you're his student, this is who you are. If you call yourself a student, you don't taste different, you don't shine at all, it means you're not living in accord, you're not living in accordance with who you are. And so we have to grow up. <laughs> and so the, the, I just want to, I'm going to end here, and the, the worship team can come back up. I want to end here with just two exhortations. Some of us here, um, we don't know him like that yet. We're not able to, to call ourselves his student his disciple, his, his apprentice. That's what, that's what it means to, to walk with him, to follow him. We become his students. We're learning from him so that we can become like him. And if that's you, Jesus is inviting you to walk with him. He's inviting you into his kingdom. And so if that's true, if you can become his student, why in the world would you wait? Why would you hold off any longer? You can come to him today and become his student. But there's many of us here who are already his students. We are walking with him. We are learning from him. And, and I want to share with you what my parents always shared with me. Every time, and I would, always, I would always roll my eyes every time they told me this, as a teenager does. But every time I would leave the house for some sort of trip or you know, whatever it was, they would always tell me very solemnly, remember who you are. And no matter how much I rolled my eyes, I so appreciate that encouragement, that exhortation every day of my life because that's what Jesus is saying. You're my student. Remember who you are. You are salt. You are light. And so you are truly blessed. That's what we have to remember. At all times, we are truly blessed. Even when there's not enough money. Even when our emotions are not what we want them to be. We're sad. We're mourning. Even when we don't have enough to eat. Even when we don't have enough to drink. Even when we're, we're being uh, reviled and persecuted. Even when we're too scared to fight. Jesus says, you are blessed because you are my child and you are in my kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we are absolutely overwhelmed with what it means to, to be your children, to be your students. Lord, you have done what none of us could do for ourselves. You looked at us and said, I desire you to be my child, to be my bride that I long to be united with, to be my adopted children with all the rights and inheritance that comes with being my, my child. Father God, Give us more of your Holy Spirit right now and as we leave this place that we would see the vision of your kingdom. That we would see the value of becoming like you. 
that we would desire it in our hearts, we would value it, and we would center our lives around it because that is what worship is. Lord, I pray we would go a step further than that, that we would actually, if we've never done it before, that we would settle in our hearts once and for all, I will follow him. I will do my utmost to become like him. And Lord, that through that intention, we would go another step further, that, you, that we would have the, the, uh, the practical and uh, have the practical steps. Show us what habits we need to build in order to, to shape the kind of character that you have in us. Show us the things we need to do, the, the ways of thinking that we need to develop. Give us, uh, help us to formulate a plan that we can work into our everyday lives to really follow you so that we can join in what you're doing in transforming us, Lord, that we become more and more like you in Jesus' name. Amen.